So listen, so many times we come to church and we have an agenda. I know as a worship team and as a pastor, we kind of think through, hey, this is what today is going to look like and, and all that. And we're going to get to the message. I want to get to it. But man, I just, as I'm sitting back there and we're singing these songs and thinking about these words and looking out over and just knowing, hey, there's stuff in our lives. And so for us to just not even maybe even acknowledge that is not the purpose of us even coming into this place. Is that we're coming in here to celebrate who God is and what He's doing in our lives and for us just to, to take a moment and reflect. And so I just want to offer up a time for us to just pray and just this time will be altar time and so is the team. Just whatever the, you guys feel like you want to sing or whatever. And so this is just a time for you. This is just a time to, to sing if you want to sing or you to come forward and be here and just... I know that stuff is going on. And so let's acknowledge that there's things in your life and a lot of things are good, but there's also some things that are deep within us that we just need to stop and just to to reflect on those. So let's not just do church today, okay? Let's stop in this moment and just reflect and spend some time. And whenever that time is ready, I'll come up and we'll preach and that means I've got five minutes, we'll get a sermon in five minutes. If it means we've got 25 minutes, we'll do it, okay? So the best sermon is what comes out of here in you on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. So I know that stuff's going on in our lives. So let's just take this time and just say, God, I, you are worthy. You are a refuge. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And not just say it here, but also At the end of this, hopefully you'll be able to say, God, it is well with my soul because I'm struggling through this. I'm not perfect, but we're working on this together. So let's just continue just to sing for a moment. Lord, I pray that at this place, it's called Second Baptist, that we never have an agenda that's our own. But Father, truly seek out your agenda. Seek your face. Seek your will. Seek your fame. Father, I pray for those in this room that there's, there's life is happening. We're in all different seasons of life. and Father, we've got kids and grandkids that we're weeping over and we're, we're wrecked over them. Father, we're doing our darndest to put them on the path that they would walk. Father, we've got marriages that are in good places and in not so good places and all in between. And Father, I know that though all of those, their desire is to stay together and to fight the good fight and to stay strong and to fight through because they know on the other side. They know that they know that they know that that's your desire and your will. Father, I know that there are some that have different workplaces, some have lost work, some are looking for new jobs, all these opportunities. Father, all of these things, you are concerned. You're the greatest, biggest thing in the world, but you're concerned about the most intimate details of our lives. May we never forget that. May we cry out to you more often than we do. May we lean harder into you than we've ever leaned before. May we press into you in a way that we've never pressed into you before. May we fall on our knees and our faces before you and admit that we are not enough, that you are. 
Father, to know that the only time that this that we're going to do this perfect is when we're done and complete. Father, may we just continue to pursue you and to pursue knowing you and loving you and loving those around us as you've loved us with complete abandonment, without our own agenda, but everything about them. We are now not number one, but number two. Everyone else, including you, is number one. May we live our lives in that way. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, band, for uh, being flexible. So we got 29 and a half minutes. Think we can do it? I licked my fingers like I'm going to be turning pages, but I'm not. I don't know what that is. So um, some of you have asked, hey, how come you've gone to teaching out of an iPad and and all that? Are you too fancy for us and all that? Actually, no. Um, I, I Honestly, I cannot see. And so if I were to get a Bible that I could actually read out of, it would be like a family Bible. And you'd be like, this is a holy spiritual, really spiritual pastor that he's got to have the family Bible to read out of. So, um, So I've got really big print up here to be able to read out of, and um, anyway. So hey, we've been doing the vow, talking about that for seven weeks. This is our seventh week looking at Song of Solomon, and um, we're going to breeze through a lot here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 7. All right, we're going to start at the very beginning, and we're going to run through chapter 7 and chapter 8. We're not going to read all the verses, but um, there's some stuff that we're just going to breeze over. We're big people. We understand what's happening what's going on. Hurry home, honey. That's the the title of this morning's message. No matter how hard the winter is, spring always comes. Last week we talked about conflict, and if you've been in a relationship long enough, you know that there's going to be some conflict along the way, and if you've been in even longer, you realize, hey, there's some serious knockout, drag out conflict that can happen, and, and in relationships that are worth it, you're going to go through those difficult conflicts and you're going to come out on the other side. And as iron sharpens iron, it's going to make you tougher. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to feel like winter in those moments, but on the other side is spring and there's new life. There's a deeper, deeper walk that you have with God, but that you also have with each other. There's nothing better. Here's what I've learned. One of the things, there's nothing better than coming out on the other side of a good, healthy conflict as a couple and realizing, hey, we can go through some deep, dark stuff and know that on the other side, we still trust each other, we still love each other, we're still walking together, and our future is bright. So let's talk a little bit as we dig in here about keeping the romance alive. That's something that we've got to get doing. And so one of the things that kills romance is just sin in our life. That there's things in our life that we kind of hold on to, that we kind of keep, and it kind of, over time, begins to separate us from our spouse, whether that's um, you know, this world of technology, you're texting someone and Facebook. I've had some friends that have got into some emotional relationships with maybe some old high school, some old ho- uh, college friends, and it's through Facebook that they're like, they remember back, and you're able to create this little fantasy world. And so that sin of that emotional relationship begins to creep in, and it begins to separate the couple. And uh, they realize, one of them begins to realize, hey, something's going on. And so sin can separate a couple and, and affect the romance. Sometimes just age. You know, my parents and others have talked about it. Sometimes we're just, it's harder work. And uh, we've been doing this and you get comfortable with one another. And so with that comes age. 
Also, there's a forgetfulness of what the other person means to you. It's been a while since you've been dating. It's been a while since you've been courting. It's been a while since the, the, the wedding and the honeymoon, and you just kind of forget. You get used to each other. You look at each other in your recliners. You're watching, I don't know, what did we watch today? Married with children or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. This is us. What are y'all watching? Who knows? This is us. Is that a good one? I don't know. I don't watch TV that's live unless it's the Cowboys. So, um, And then don't talk to me. So we've got those recliners, and we're kind of doing that, and we're, we're kind of separated from one another. I've, I've noticed more and more, we were, Becky and I were talking about, even with the kids, is whenever we sit down together for dinner now, whether it's at home or wherever it's at out, at out to eat, is that our phones go to the side, and they're turned over, and there's no, there's no buzzing, there's no beeping, or whatever, because you've noticed that if you haven't, then you're, you're not paying attention. There are couples that are sitting across from each other, and they're doing this. During dinner time, even last night, I was out with Becky and Landon, and there was a couple that they were probably in their 60s, and uh, they they said two words to each other the entire time that I was sitting there watching. Two words: Do you want this chair or this chair? And they sat down, and then they went to their phones, and then they talked to the waitress, and then they talked to this right here. They could have been texting each other from across the table. I don't know, could be their romantic love language, but there's this disengagement. And it's a forgetfulness of, hey, I've done life with this person for 40 years. That has to mean something. And they've had to have meant something to me way back when. We have a tendency to forget the beauty of who that person is. And then also, we kill it through our laziness. It's just hard work. It is hard work to write love notes. It's hard work to to think through how can I surprise and how can I be um, spontaneous and, and, and surprising the other person. So how do we keep romance alive? Well, listen, here's the deal. Guys, it's predominantly upon us. It's our role as men to be the romantic ones. We're the knights in shining armor. Okay, so we've got our armor on. We're coming in on our, the stallions, and here we go. We're the ones that are responsible for keeping romance alive. So you're capable of being romantic. Okay, you are capable. You did it one time. You pursued this girl. Keep pursuing. Don't give up. God created us to be romantic, all right? It's natural for us because we're, we're trying to woo, we're trying to win, we're trying to, to get it there, and it's expected of us to be romantic. I mean, it's just it's our job. That's a part of who we are. And when God created us, God created men as we're the wooers, and the women are responding to our wooing, okay? So guys, go out of here wooing your heart to death and see the romance in your life increase. You got it? How do you do that? Be spontaneous. Do something unexpected. Continue to date your wife and put your phone down. Got me? Let's all vow together. I will not go to dinner and have my phone out. Amen. All right? You got it? Okay. So in your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 1, here we have this idea of keeping romance alive and how do you appreciate the other person. Verse 1, how beautiful are your sandaled feet. Oh, queenly maiden. Most of you, maybe she got a pedicure, right? She was getting ready and she had a pedicure. Here's the interesting thing that I want you to think about. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you realize that on the honeymoon, what was the first thing that he mentioned? He mentioned her eyes, right? Now they've been together for a long time. They've come through some conflict. And what does he notice? Her feet. There's a change in perspective. They've been doing life together for a little bit. And so as he's still beginning this process of they're, they're talking through and they're um, excited about the opportunity to be in a relationship together, but he starts at a feet. He literally worships the ground that she walks on. 
So he's at her feet. This was a position that he was, at this moment, being a servant. Because in those days, only the servants took off the shoes of those within the house. And so he's at her feet, pulling off. So she's coming home from whatever she's been doing at the antique fair or whatever. And he's like, hey, honey, I'm glad that you spent only the money that I sent you with, right? You only The credit card is not maxed out. And so he's there, and he's pulling off the sandals, and he's saying, listen, I love your sandaled feet. And with that, he's also washing her feet in that moment. He's saying, listen, I love you. I trust you. I care about you. One, to wear sandals in that day meant that you were trusted. Servants or those that were slaves or anyone that wasn't trusted, they did not have sandaled feet. They were bare feet, which means that they probably most likely, most of the time, did not leave the house. They were confined to the house. And so the fact that she had sandaled feet meant that he trusted her and that she was able to walk and to leave and to go wherever. Remember, she's a mare among the stallions. And so that they had a trusting relationship. She could go anywhere and he could trust her. She could walk wherever and be wherever and he would trust her. And so she had sandaled feet and he served her and bent down at her feet and he washed her feet and he said, listen, I love you and I care about you and I've seen you over these years. And I now bow down at your feet and worship Worship the, walk, the way where you have walked because of the woman that you are. It's a great change in perspective for us. For us as men, as we do life, we realize that our ladies are so much more than what we began to think about them. The total flip, opposite perspective of who these ladies are. Next, he begins to discuss what he knew about her. More than just her physical attributes, you'll see some of those things coming in, but her spirit and her beauty, her strength, her purity, her spirituality, her leadership within the home. If you've never read Proverbs chapter 31, read that. And this is another description of what a Proverbs 31 woman is. He also is her, they are allies together. They stand back to back and do life and to fight together to win the cause for Christ. Look at the second part of verse 1. Our rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a skilled craftsman. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Between your thighs lies a mound of wheat bordered with lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. Again, here are these are the same words, the same description that he had for on a honeymoon. So he continues to see her. Even though he's seen her for a long time, he continues to see her with the same eyes, the same beauty that he did before. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the sparkling pools of Heshbon by the gates of Bathrobeam. This is a pool... It was a spiritual pool, and the priests of the day would go, and they would wash in that. And so he's telling her, listen, I love the fact that you love Jesus. I love the fact that you continue to pursue God, that you're pursuing holiness, that you're pursuing righteousness, and that together as a couple that we're growing closer to God, and as we grow closer to God, we're growing together. I love that about you. This is one of my favorite ones that you guys, I know you guys have practiced this one on your wife. Your nose is as fine as the Tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. Many of our wives would say, take me and get my nose redone. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel, and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. Listen, she's probably got silver hair at this point. And so times have changed. And again, he's down on his feet, and he's beginning to look up, and he begins to talk about her, and he gets to the point at the head, and before he was talking about her eyes and the beauty, and now he's looking at her hair, and he's saying, listen, the crown that you wear is of a hair that has changed, and I see the beauty and the wisdom of a woman who has changed and the purity and all of everything about you, the strength of who you are. I love what I'm seeing 
through even your hair, it shows me of a life well lived. Your head is majestic as Mount Carmel, and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing my love, how full of delights. You're slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. And I said, I will calm, climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples, those aphrodisiacs. Remember, raisin bread and apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. Listen, I love, Becky and I love watching couples. And even the other day, I was driving down uh, the street on Main Street, and there was a couple, they're probably in their late 60s, early 70s, and he reached out for her hand. You know that moment where a guy kind of reaches out, and I'm watching this happen, and thinking about this passage, and I'm like, this this was perfect. He reaches out and kind of grabs her hand, and she just kind of reaches, and they hold, and they begin to walk together. But again, I think this is it. This is what this talks about, is they, even into their 70s, continue to love one another, care for one another, and he's reaching out and saying, listen, I'm walking down Main Street, and I want everybody to know that you're mine and that we're together. And that's what that looks like for us as they continue to grow in that. And you know what? That's hard work sometimes, even just to reach out. Because we've got all kinds of stuff that we're thinking about. We're mad. We're angry. And we're, she spent too much. He's been watching too much of this and all this different stuff. And sometimes just to reach out and to break that down. One of the, one of the words that I gave to someone recently in parenting is the same kind of idea as I asked the question, when is the last time that you hugged your kid? And they were like, I don't know. I was like, hug them. You're about to have some deep conversations about some life change that needs to happen in this person's life. Hug them. Because it's going to break that down for both of you. You're going you're gonna to soften a little bit. They're going to soften a little bit. And there's something about touch that changes us. It kind of softens the heart. And, and even in this moment, the, to be able to reach out and to say, listen, you have something that I continue to care and love about, and you're worth the effort. Earlier on, he had called her a garden, but now he calls her an oasis in the desert. As we do life with someone long enough, you're going to be able to know that you can run to them when life gets hard and life gets difficult. You can run and you can trust and do life with them. They're not just a garden, but now they're an oasis in the middle of the desert. If you've ever been thirsty, you know what this means, that you've got to run and you've got to get it. If you've been working out for a long time and you haven't had enough to drink, you go to the water fountain and you drink deep of the water fountain. You can't get enough to quench from you. And this is what this is talking about for us, is that there's going to be moments in life where there's a desert and we're struggling to do life and that that other person that we're doing life with is an oasis for us. And he's saying, listen, all throughout this, there's been moments of conflict. Yes, there's been times where it hasn't been what I've imagine this thing would look like, but you've continued to be an oasis that I can run to and we can drink deep of one another and saying, listen, I love and I trust you and you're a place of security for me. An oasis in the midst of the desert. He appreciated her from their time of dating and courting, but a much greater appreciation for the woman that he's been able to spend his life with, the layers and the complexity of women. saw some research over these past few weeks trying to describe the difference between men and women. And here's what it basically boils down to, guys, is we are extremely simple beings. Feed us, and we're happy. That's it. All right? And so we actually, the research shows that we have this little thing, and it's called a one-track mind. You've heard of that? And so for most of us as men, like 99.9% of men, we are one-track. We can do one thing at a time. We're just, 
There's, our superhighway is one lane, and it, sometimes it's a country road, sometimes it's a fast lane, but it's one lane. And if we start getting other lanes, then we get into wrecks and we mess stuff up. And so one lane, we're kind of going, ladies, they have like a super highway, and it just got interchanges and all this different stuff. And so they've got little butterfly interchange. They've got all kinds of stuff. It's a big city, and all these little connections are going on, all this different stuff. And they're able to manage it. And they're looking at us going, why can't you just remember to take out the trash? And we're saying, because you asked me to do the dishes too. And so you've added too many things. We've got one thing on our mind and the complexity. And so as men... As we do life with our women, we begin to appreciate the depth of what God did. And God said, man, wow, he created two totally different beings. Not necessarily one smarter than the other, just kind of the way he's wired us. And we begin to understand how a woman can have a child on the hip, be talking on the phone, be driving and eating and doing all. I mean, I've seen it, man. It is like crazy stuff that they can be able to do. And we're just like, hey, I'm just trying to find a radio station and not have a collision. Two different minds Two different ways. And so she responds, we won't read these verses, but in 7, verses 9 through 13, she responds to his call. Remember, he's on his knees. He's talking to her and describing her and, and, and the beauty of who she is, and she responds to that. So who do you appreciate? How do you appreciate each other? Look over in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1, and you begin to see this oneness spelled out even deeper. Oh, I wish you were my brother. Now, that's kind of weird for us, but in their culture, that meant that you could show affection. So she was saying, listen, I wish that you were my brother so that 24-7, wherever we were at, I could hold your hand or I could give you a kiss and people would know that you're mine and we're each other's. Now, not like Six Flags. Have you ever been at Six Flags and people are kind of hanging all over each other? Not like that, but that moment, like what I was just describing, where a couple can walk down the street and they can reach out and hold hands because even in that culture that was unacceptable if you were a husband and wife there was no pda okay so some of you you'd be in serious trouble right no pda that's why she's saying listen i wish you were my brother so that i could express and people could see how much we care about each other you that you nursed at my mother's breasts then i could kiss you no matter who was watching and no one would criticize me i would bring you to my childhood home and there you would teach me i would give you spiced wine to drink and my sweet pomegranate wine. She's like, hey, I want to give you some aphrodisiacs. Your left arm would be under my head, and your right arm would embrace me. Again, remember, she's calling those days of courting. as She was beginning to dream about the character of who he was and beginning to think about, man, I want to move this from just a kind of a dating relationship into courting. Remember, the change was that she was like, listen, I'm getting to know who you are, and I want you to hold me and embrace me in a, in a different way. Verse 4. Promise me, O woman of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Even now, she's saying, listen, there's appropriate times for everything. There's a oneness. I aroused you under the apple tree where your mother gave you birth, where you were great pain, she delivered you. She's saying to him, listen, you are the one and only person for me. Verse 6, place a seal over my heart. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. There's an ownership taking place. For your love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is enduring of the grave. Now this idea of jealousy is one that's different. So many times when we think of jealousy, we are truly talking about envy. It's something that, that is, I'm envious of that. I want that because it's not mine. And what she is saying is that we have a righteous jealousy over one another. Is that we 
own each other. We have a seal toward one another that we have a covenant together. And because of that covenant, I'm jealous for your love. I long for you. In other words, whenever you go to work, I'm jealous for the fact that others get to spend time with you that I don't get to spend. And I want you to hurry home and to be with me because we have a seal of the covenant. We have a seal of that relationship. And I long to spend more and more time with you. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench our love. No rivers can drown it out. If a man tried to buy love with all of his wealth, his offer would utterly be scorned. In other words, nothing could change our relationship. I'm completely sold out to you. There is no other woman. You are the mayor among many, many thousands of stallions. Jump down to verse 14 at the end there. Told you we're going to skip through some things. Verse 14, come away, my love, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. In other words, listen, we've been doing life for a long time. We've experienced a lot. I've experienced the complexity of you, the simplicity, and all the different things about what it means to have a relationship. But at the end of the world, at the end of this time, we're still walking hand in hand at the beach. And when I look at you in the eyes, I still desire you. In the same way that right before our wedding, even during our honeymoon, I desire you in the same way. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Over the last few weeks, we've delved into this passage, these passages of Song of Solomon, and some great stuff. And one of the things about the Song of Solomon is is is, if this was written by Solomon, he's someone that totally messed up relationships. Multiple wives, concubines, the whole different thing. And that was the very downfall of his kingdom was the fact that he had a divided heart. And for us, as we look at relationships, we live in a culture that in many ways says, do what you want, do how you want it. It doesn't matter. There's no consequences. There's no repercussions for doing things in your own way without God's wisdom. And we're seeing and we understand that not just research, not just statistics, but just stories of our friends and people that we do life with, that it doesn't work best outside of God's design. And so here's a guy who pursued it and did things outside of God's design, and he comes back and he says, listen, it doesn't work well that way. This is the way that we can see how God has done it. Begin, be the person that you want to marry. Begin to develop the character of who God wants you to be and who God needs you to be so that you can, the person that you're dreaming about, become that yourself. Draw the circle around yourself and continue to draw that circle around yourself so that you continue to grow in character, begin to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ so that when you get to that place of saying, hey, that person looks cute, and you enter into a relationship, begin to grow and to see that, and then all of a sudden you're standing up here in front of all these witnesses saying, I'm going to do life with this person for the rest of my life to understand that you have people around you that are supporting you, that they know you, they know the other people, and can say, listen, we're going to stand with you because we believe and what's going forward. How many times have we been over in your history and of your life, I know that I've been, or I've been to places, and I know that the couple are getting married, and I'm like, I don't know if they're ready. I don't know if they know each other. I don't know if they're truly ready for what life holds for them. Because listen, if you've walked through the darkness of what it means to separate as a husband and wife, you understand it's difficult and it's dark. And the Bible even describes it as murder. Serious. 
So for us, as men and women, as a church, to recapture what it means to have a covenant relationship with one another and to be serious, teaching our children, raising them up and saying, listen, this is important. This is one of the most important decisions you're going to make. Take care of your character and get yourself ready for what God has for you. He can, great things that He can do for you. Now listen, some of us, we've made mistakes. We haven't done it that way. Redemption, reconciliation, and grace. That's the beauty of God's deal is He makes all things new. And for us, moving forward in forgiveness and realizing that, hey, that we have to move forward and forget and forgiveness of what God has for us. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this book, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Thank you for the wisdom that is shared in there. and Father, that if we can do our best to live by these principles and to pursue life in these principles of our relationships, how much more, how much less regret that we will have. Father, I pray for those in this room that are in relationships. Lord, they're not easy. No matter where we're at, no matter how long, they're still difficult. Father, I just pray that an extra portion of grace, an extra portion of blessing upon relationships. I pray for those that are single, that are pursuing and looking and wanting to be desiring to be with someone else as a helpmate, to be a helpmate and to have a helpmate. Father, that encourage to draw a circle around and to grow in the relationship, no matter their age, relationship with you and to develop the character to be ready. For Father, so many times I've seen it. When we settle in to saying, God, I, I give up on pursuing anything else other than you and knowing you, how you just kind of pour out into that and bless that. Father, I just pray for this group. Growing, thriving relationships that when people look at them, they say, I see the bride of Christ in that. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.